Section twenty one of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lucy Lafaro, New South Wales, Australia. The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume One, by Anonymous. Translated by Dr. Jonathan Scott. Section 21 I designed, after my first voyage, to spend the rest of my days at Baghdad, as I had the honour to tell you yesterday. But it was not long ere I grew weary of an indolent life. My inclination to trade revived. I bought goods proper for the commerce I intended, and put to sea a second time with merchants of known probity. We embarked on board a good ship, and after recommending ourselves to God, we set sail. We traded from island to island, and exchanged commodities with great profit. One day we landed in an island covered with several sorts of fruit trees, but we could see neither man nor animal. We went to take a little fresh air in the meadows, along the streams that watered them. While some diverted themselves with gathering flowers and other fruits, I took my wine and provisions, and sat down near a stream betwixt two high trees, which formed a thick shade. I made a good meal, and afterwards fell asleep. I cannot tell how long I slept, but when I awoke the ship was gone. I was much alarmed at finding the ship gone. I got up and looked around me, but could not see one of the merchants who landed with me. I perceived the ship under sail, but at such a distance that I lost sight of her in a short time. I leave you to guess at my melancholy reflections in this sad condition. I was ready to die with grief. I cried out in agony, beat my head and breast, and threw myself upon the ground, where I lay some time in despair. One afflicting thought being succeeded by another still more afflicting. I upbraided myself a hundred times for not being content with the produce of my first voyage. That might have sufficed me all my life. But all this was in vain, and my repentance too late. At last I resigned myself to the will of God. Not knowing what to do, I climbed up to the top of a lofty tree, from whence I looked about on all sides, to see if I could discover anything that could give me hopes. When I gazed towards the sea, I could see nothing but sky and water. But looking over the land, I beheld something white and coming down. I took what provision I had left, and went towards it the distance being so great that I could not distinguish what it was. As I approached, I thought it to be a white dome, of a prodigious height and extent. And when I came up to it, I touched it, and found it to be very smooth. I went round to see if it was open on any side, but saw it was not, and that there was no climbing up to the top as it was so smooth. It was at least fifty paces round. 
By this time the sun was about to set, and all of a sudden the sky became as dark as if it had been covered with a thick cloud. I was much astonished at this sudden darkness, but much more when I found it occasioned by a bird of a monstrous size that came flying toward me. I remembered that I had often heard Mariner speak of a miraculous bird called Rock, and conceived that the great dome which I so much admired must be its egg. In short, the bird alighted and sat over the egg. As I perceived her coming, I crept to the egg so that I had before me one of the legs of the bird, which was as big as the trunk of a tree. I tied myself strongly to it with my turban, in hopes that the rock next morning would carry me with her out of this desert island. After having passed the night in this condition, the bird flew away as soon as it was daylight, and carried me so high that I could not discern the earth. She afterwards descended with so much rapidity that I lost my senses. But when I found myself on the ground, I speedily untied the knot, and had scarcely done so, when the rock, having taken up a serpent of a monstrous length in her bill, flew away. The spot where it left me was encompassed on all sides by mountains, that seemed to reach above the clouds, and so steep that there was no possibility of getting out of the valley. This was a new perplexity, so that when I compared this place with the desert island from which the rock had brought me, I found that I had gained nothing by the change. As I walked through this valley, I perceived it was strewed with diamonds, some of which were of a surprising bigness. I took pleasure in looking upon them, but shortly saw at a distance such objects as greatly diminished my satisfaction, and which I could not view without terror, namely a great number of serpents, so monstrous that the least of them was capable of swallowing an elephant. They retired in the daytime to their dens, where they hid themselves from the rock their enemy, and came out only in the night. I spent the day in walking about in the valley, resting myself at times in such places as I thought most convenient. When night came on, I went into a cave, where I thought I might repose in safety. I secured the entrance, which was low and narrow, with a great stone to preserve me from the serpents, but not so far as to exclude the light. I supped on part of my provisions, but the serpents, which began hissing around me, put me into such extreme fear that you may easily imagine I did not sleep. When day appeared, the serpents retired, and I came out of the cave trembling. I can justly say that I walked upon diamonds, without feeling any inclination to touch them. At last I sat down, and notwithstanding my apprehensions, not having closed my eyes during the night, fell asleep, after having eaten a little more of my provision. But I had scarcely shut my eyes when something that fell by me with a great noise awakened me. This was a large piece of raw meat, and at the same time I saw several others fall down from the rocks in different places. 
I had always regarded as fabulous what I had heard sailors and others relate of the Valley of Diamonds, and of the stratagems employed by merchants to obtain jewels from thence. But now I found that they had stated nothing but truth. For the fact is that the merchants come to the neighbourhood of this valley, when the eagles have young ones, and throwing great joints of meat into the valley, the diamonds upon whose points they fall stick to them. The eagles, which are stronger in this country than anywhere else, pounce with great force upon those pieces of meat, and carry them to their nests on the precipices of the rocks to feed their young. The merchants at this time run to their nests, disturb and drive off the eagles by their shouts, and take away the diamonds that stick to the meat. Until I perceived the device I had concluded it to be impossible for me to get from this abyss, which I regarded as my grave, but now I changed my opinion, and began to think upon the means of my deliverance. I began to collect together the largest diamonds I could find, and put them into a leather bag in which I used to carry my provisions. I afterwards took the largest of the pieces of meat, tied it close around me with the cloth of my turban, and then laid myself upon the ground with my face downward, the bag of diamonds being made fast to my girdle. I had scarcely placed myself in this posture when the eagles came. Each of them seized a piece of meat, and one of the strongest having taken me up with the piece of meat to which I was fastened, carried me to his nest on top of the mountain. The merchants immediately began their shouting to frighten the eagles, and when they had obliged them to quit their prey, one of them came to the nest where I was. He was much alarmed when he saw me, but recovering himself, instead of inquiring how I came hither, began to quarrel with me, and asked why I stole his goods. "'You will treat me,' replied I, "'with more civility, when you know me better. Do not be uneasy. I have diamonds enough for you and myself, more than all the other merchants together. Whatever they have, they owe to chance, but I selected for myself in the bottom of the valley those which you see in this bag. I had scarcely done speaking when the other merchants came crowding about us, much astonished to see me, but they were much more surprised when I told them my story. Yet they did not so much admire my stratagem to effect my deliverance as to my courage in putting it into execution. They conducted me to their encampment, and there having opened my bag, they were surprised at the largeness of my diamonds, and confessed that in all the courts which they had visited they had never seen any of such size and perfection. I prayed the merchant who owned the nest to which I had been carried, for every merchant had his own, to take as many for his share as he pleased. He contented himself with one, and that too the least of them and when I pressed him to take more, without fear of doing me any injury. No, said he, I am very well satisfied with this, which is valuable enough to save me the trouble of making any more voyages, and will raise as great a fortune as I desire. I spent the night with the merchants, to whom I related my story a second time, for the satisfaction of those who had not heard it. 
I could not moderate my joy when I found myself delivered from the danger I have mentioned. I thought myself in a dream, and could scarcely believe myself out of danger. The merchants had thrown their pieces of meat into the valley for several days, and each of them, being satisfied with the diamonds that had fallen to his lot, we left the place the next morning, and travelled near high mountains, where there were serpents of a prodigious length, which we had the good fortune to escape. We took shipping at the first port we reached, and touched at the isle of Roja, where the trees grow that yield camphor. This tree is so large, and its branches so thick, that one hundred men may easily sit under its shade. The juice of which the camphor is made exudes from the whole board in the upper part of the tree is received in a vessel, where it thickens to a consistency and becomes what we call camphor. After the juice is thus drawn out, the tree withers and dies. In this island is also found the rhinoceros, an animal less than the elephant but larger than the buffalo. It has a horn upon its nose, about a cubit in length. This horn is solid and cleft through the middle. Upon this may be seen white lines, representing the figure of a man. The rhinoceros fights with the elephant, runs his horn into his belly, and carries him off upon his head. But the blood and the fat of the elephant running into his eyes and making him blind. He falls to the ground, and then, strange to relate, the rock comes and carries them both away in her claws, for food for her young ones. I pass over many other things peculiar to this island, lest I should be troublesome to you. Here I exchanged some of my diamonds for merchandise. From hence we went to other islands, and at last, having touched at several Trading towns of the continent, we landed at Bussorah, from whence I proceeded to Baghdad. There I immediately gave large presents to the poor, and lived honourably upon the vast riches I had brought, and gained with so much fatigue. Thus Simbad ended the relation of the second voyage, gave Hindbad another hundred sequins, and invited him to come the next day, to hear the account of the third. The rest of the guests returned to their homes, and came again the following day at the same hour, and one may be sure the porter did not fail, having by this time almost forgotten his former poverty. When dinner was over, Simbad demanded attention, and gave them an account of his third voyage as follows. End of section 21